it's unfathomable to me that you know in the year 2021 women are still not paid equally to men for the same work Hey there and happy Tuesday or happy whatever day you happen to be listening to this podcast on. I am so excited for you to listen to today's episode because it includes a very special guest to me and that is my stepmom, Megan Walker. So while I always try to be a professional when doing this podcast, it's a bit tricky when you're interviewing your stepmom. So if you hear me call her me a few times in this interview, just know that that is her nickname that I gave her when I was like four years old. Megan Walker is a former elected member of London City Council, London being London, Ontario, who recently retired as the executive director of the London Abused Women's Center. She is a feminist abolitionist who advocates for systemic changes to end male violence against women. Megan has testified before parliamentary and Senate committees on the equality model as the best model to help women safely exit the sex industry. She co-wrote a research paper outlining the benefits of this model, and it will be included in today's show notes if you want to have a skim through or just educate yourself further on this model. Megan was Canada's North American lead during the United Nations, Beijing, European, and America's consultation meetings. She has spoken in so many different places like Paris, New York, Sweden, Ukraine, London, UK, Guyana, and South America. Megan has appeared numerous times as an expert witness before municipal, provincial, parliamentary, and Senate committees to provide expert testimony on matters relating to male violence against women and victims' rights. In this episode, we are talking about the underrepresentation of women in political and professional leadership positions and why that is. We also discuss inclusive leadership and we question if the Pay Equity Act is really making a difference to women. What has been your defining moment this past week? So this could be something good or it could be something bad, but it's something that has shaped your week and, and sort of left you thinking about it. It's interesting in my job, I find that I have defining moments uh, fairly regularly, um, almost every day because of the changing nature of the work I do. This week, I think probably what was most defining for me were two things um, and really related to balancing work with life. And so the first thing, um, I'm part of an organization, a pan-Canadian organization, Um, that is committed to ensuring that Canada's prostitution legislation remains in place, which decriminalizes women in prostitution, um, but criminalizes men who purchase sexual services, uh, traffickers and pimps, and brothel owners. And so um, this week, this pan-Canadian organization launched, and we also launched an amazing Canada-wide public awareness campaign. So that was so exciting to see how women can come together and very quickly accomplish some incredible goals. So for me, that was a really impactful day of launch. Regrettably, the next day I received a call from my daughter who advised that her daughter, so my little granddaughter, uh, was sick and um, 
she needed some help because she's about to go into labor and asked if I could come. And it was incredible to me to be able to just hop on a train and come and be available for her. So those are sort of my yin yangs, I guess, because one is work related and the other profession or a uh, home. So you introduced yourself a little bit with what you just talked about, but can you give us a rundown of your career this far and who you are? That is such a difficult question. <laughs> so um, I can tell you that I started my professional life um, in about 1994 when I was first elected to London City Council. And I campaigned on a platform of equality rights and social justice. And I also indicated at the time that I felt city council members should actually have two term limits. Um, because from my experience in watching over the years, I found that many politicians who became career politicians uh, were no longer really cared, no longer really involved in the best interests of the community, but more about just doing what they felt was good for them. So uh, after, after two terms, two, three uh, year terms, I stepped down. But as a woman's advocate for a very long time in 1997, so during my time on city council, I was hired uh, by the London Abused Women's Centre, uh, known then as the London Battered Women's Advocacy Centre, um, as the executive director. And so I've uh, been working there ever since, uh, about to retire in a few weeks on August 31st. Um, but it is an incredible job, which is about um, valuing the, you know, giving value to the lives of women and girls who experience trauma and violence every day in their lives and watching them come in um, really concerned and afraid and sort of slumped over. And after their uh, counseling and advocacy support, they leave with their heads held high. It's just the most inspiring job. And I love it so much. And um, I work with the most amazing team and we do amazing work around ending male violence against women in all its forms, including um, by their intimate partners um, in sex trafficking, prostitution um, and workplace harassment. Women make up just over half of the Canadian population, yet continue to be underrepresented in political and professional leadership positions. What can be done to encourage more women towards leadership goals? So first of all, let me start by saying uh, women uh, continue to be oppressed and discriminated against in society. Um, largely by men. And I don't mean to indicate that all men do that, but we know that uh, the majority of men are great and we don't have a problem with, but uh, those men who do keep women out of their workplaces or do keep women in entry-level positions um, are steeped in patriarchy. And they don't see women as valuable or as um, equal as far as uh, contributing, or they don't see women as um, having the ability to take on leadership roles. So there are a few things I think we can do to continue to help, but th this has been a long time and this continues, right? But I do really believe in, uh, in mentorship and supporting women 
in uh, leadership positions because they are then in the position to continue to mentor others to come up through into leadership positions. I have never said that I think women should be given jobs just because they're women. I have always believed that women should be given a fair opportunity to have leadership positions, which means removing the barriers that exist and prevent women from excelling in their workplaces. So we know it's women, those that carry children are pregnant, need to take care of their children after they're born. It's generally women still that uh, when children are sick, have to leave their jobs to go home and care for them. And so if you are not going to allow a woman to um, exercise her right, you know, and her choice to uh, her own reproductive rights and have children, you're really eliminating her from advancing within your workplace. So these are human rights issues, but for so many people in, in uh, positions of power, um, many men will abuse that power and prevent women from accessing their places of employment. How, if you are in an establishment or like in a place that you're really a business that, or organization that you're really enjoying and you're trying to advance, and let's say you do apply for a higher up position, how can women sort of identify, are there like specific um risks or like red flags, if you want to call them that are, you would say, oh, that is, you're actually like hindering my growth. You're not allowing me to advance. How can women identify this? I think when women are passed over for positions, uh, leadership positions uh, that they've applied for and definitely have the qualifications for, um, and that position is given to somebody with fewer qualifications that's male, that is the biggest red flag. And so I always suggest in those cases that women set up meetings afterwards to find out why they were not hired. Um, and, and then I always say to them, you know, this is, this is a place that does not seem to support women in advancing in the workplace. Um, and you could invest your resources in trying to fight what they're doing, or you could invest your resources in finding a really great woman-friendly environment. And the reason for that is at some point when male leaders look out and all they see are men in their workplace environment, they're going to start realizing they have a significant issue. I'll say that's a bit of an understatement. <laughs> what are the leadership traits you think women possess that make them so valuable in positions of power? Women have incredible insight into life because of where they've come from. So, so many women um, have experienced violence in their lives or witnessed it. So we know that one in three women will experience violence. Um, so many children witness this in their homes growing up. And that provides this level of insight um, and knowledge that men rarely have. And so it also gives women um, the most valuable trait, I think, in a workplace, which is empathy. So rather than blaming women in the workplace um, for having to be at home because they're sick or take care of their children or because they choose to have a baby 
women come to the place of, wow, what can I do to support you? And so many women who have walked in those shoes will also say, this workplace is a workplace that values family first. And so if your children are in a play at school or a track and field event, we want to support you in being there for those children. Um, if your children are sick, we want to support you in being home for those children. Um, if you are going on a mat leave, we guarantee that when you come back, you will have a job. All of those things, I think, um, are important. And, and many men don't because they haven't experienced any of these things. They don't understand the value. And my goal always is to make sure that uh, women are at the forefront of every opportunity and that the environment is very woman-friendly and family-friendly. So why is it so important to have women in leadership roles? Because women, um, first of all, women kick ass. They have the ability to juggle many balls and many ideas at the same time. They, they have learned over life to be multitaskers. Um, they contribute a perspective different than men. Um, and, and women uh, want to change the world. Women oftentimes don't choose a position or a role uh, because, oh, hey, it's just a job. Oftentimes women choose those positions because they feel it inside. And so for them, it's a passion. And when you are passionate about your work, you are a really effective leader. Can you talk about what inclusive leadership is? So everybody will have a different view on what inclusive leadership is. Um, I talk about inclusive leadership as feminist leadership, where there's a recognition of the oppression women often feel in life and where there's a recognition of the important role uh, women have in supporting their families. And so for me, uh, I have a workplace that, first of all, is a family first workplace. Um, secondly, it's a workplace where um, all women are given a role. And even in a hierarchy or a hierarchical uh, structure, everybody contributes equally to the success of the organization. So even though I may be the executive director, I'm not the one that is achieving the success. The success is achieved because we have a team and we all contribute equally. Um, and so for me, uh, the most inclusive place that women can be in particular um, is a place where they are provided with opportunities to be part of the success. Do you think women can have a competitive, high-profile job while also having a fulfilling, happy family life? And what are your tips for balancing these two? Well, that's, for me, has been a, a challenge over my life because work is so intensive. It never ends. So there are long hours in my work, often, you know, extending well into the evening and every weekend. Um, but I have always tried to incorporate my children, including you, uh, in the work 
that I do. So if there are rallies or, uh, you know, I remember you girls would always come out to the take back the night rallies, you know, with your size and take back the night. And um, I loved that because for me, it was around spending time with my family and also teaching my children the importance of taking social action um, and always you know, again, it, 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 in a workplace like mine, where your children are sick or doing exciting things in their lives, you can be part of that because that's recognized as being really valuable to the organization. So it, it is very challenging for women to balance both. Um, and I think it takes a little bit of time um, until you can get to that point. But I feel very strongly that as long as my family is my priority and my first priority, I can balance work with that. So it's easier for me to be able to do that because I'm in a position of leadership. But I can tell you that I don't, I don't do that uh, without including my entire team of having those same opportunities. Right. For sure. And I as- assume you probably have felt like this before once in your career, but and like feeling the sense of if you do, let's say, spend more time at your job, you might feel more selfish because you've taken that time to work, to focus on work rather than focusing on your family. So how do you manage your internal feelings of maybe that's more selfish, but like it needs to be done because it's also fulfilling your passion. It's fu- that Don't you find it funny that women are often, you know, the ones that feel more guilt about doing things and balancing and doing, you know, what's right. And, and there was a time I can tell you that I would feel guilty being at work and then guilty being at home. And, And one day it really occurred to me around my job specifically was that both are the same for me. Like I, I do my work because it's who I am. um, And because I have three daughters and I want to make a difference in their lives. Um, But a lot of, you know, women don't have that opportunity because of course, not every woman has the opportunity to have the job of a lifetime that that is who they are represents who they are. Um, and so I always say, you know, first and foremost, again, is always family, family first. And, um, you know, there's no guilt, no guilt. If you have to work long hours, um, one week, as, as long as you know that when your children or your family need you, you're going to give them those long hours too. Right. I like that. That's definitely fair. Canadian women make 89 cents uh, for every dollar men earn. However, Canada's new Pay Equity Act going in effect this summer is working to reduce that gap between men and women in Canadian workplaces. What are your thoughts on this and how can we continue our efforts to ensure all women are going to benefit? Oh, my goodness. So (laughs) when I started my job 25 years ago, the government of Ontario gave every woman employee a 1% increase per year towards pay equity. And so at that time, it would have taken probably 45 years to have achieved pay equity. Nowadays, I am appalled by what is happening. And I don't know that in my lifetime, there ever will be pay equity. So Stats Canada actually says it's 87% um, per male dollar, dollar earned. The government of 
Canada, the, the apparently feminist government of Canada, indicates that it's 89 cents um, and they've got this plan now. So a few things about the plan. It was first developed and passed in legislation three years ago. But now as we're kind of entering into this election period, all of a sudden it's getting a lot of attention. And I think there's a strategy behind that. So it's it's 89 cents per hour. They want to increase that through pay equity strategies by dictating that you know, federal organizations um, will have to increase uh, wages to make sure there's in leadership positions and in all positions pay equity. Um, the difficulty is the government hires only 1.3 million people, and that leaves the rest of us, not federal agencies or organizations, uh, left with no pay equity plan. How are we going to deal with this, given the government's failure consistently to deal with this? Um, and I really encourage women then when they are negotiating for salaries to make sure they look at the salary grids and make sure that the salaries that they are provided with are consistent with what a male in a similar position would get. Um, I always encourage women in workplaces to try to track how women uh, are promoted within the organization. And if they're not promoted, to talk about that with other women in the workplace and come up with a strategy. I think it's really important to understand that uh, pay equity, it's unfathomable to me that, you know, in the year 2021, women are still not paid equally to men for the same work. And that speaks volumes about the power patriarchy has and the power men have over women. They can continue to prevent us from moving forward with equal pay for equal work. We tend to, you know, blame women for their own hardships and sort of point the lasers on each of us. Um, and, you know, we fail to credit us for our accomplishments. Elaborate on why women's work is always held to a higher standard than men's work and how we can go about, you know, having more compassion and grace for each of us. It's interesting because every single system um, across the spectrum, whether it's the healthcare system or the criminal justice system, or, or whether it's the uh, educational system, whatever it is, re-victimizes women by blaming them. So, so this is a systemic issue that women continue to face. I don't know if it's sometimes necessarily that women are held to a higher standard as much as it's that some employers want to just crush with their thumb the accomplishments of women. And so instead of saying, you are an amazing woman, you know, you're working so hard, you're giving so much. Um, I'm not able to give you a salary increase right now, but I know that you have two children at home and I'd like to give you two extra days off throughout what, your convenience so you can spend time with your children. That would be the ideal workplace. That's the workplace I am in. And that's the workplace we should all be in where women are valued equally, but more importantly, they're valued for the skills they bring to that job every single day. When society and the systems in, within society continue to marginalize the efforts of women, uh, that becomes the norm. 
And so what I see very often in workplaces is that, you know, women are supposed to be in certain roles. Women are supposed to be in entry-level administrative roles. While they strive to be a doctor, they're told, well, best be a nurse. You know, not that there's anything wrong with being a nurse, but if your desire is to be a doctor, then go for it. What is perpetuating society is that women are not able to accomplish the same as men. And I really say fuck you about that because I, I really believe that women have so much more to offer than men because women carry so many experiences throughout their life um, that they can contribute to a workplace. Sometimes the issue is women don't know how much power they have. That's part of giving women the tools they need to empower themselves to take action. What's your favorite mantra or motto that has helped you during difficult times within your career? Keep the faith. <laughs> I love that. It's, yeah. <laughs> I always say at the end of every call, okay, keep the faith or keep the faith kiddo. And I say that a lot. And that came from my mom. She always says, keep the faith kid even now. And so I say it, uh, I know you do, even though the day may be long and tiring and you feel unsuccessful, just keep the faith, you know, and you know, tomorrow will be a better day than that day. Okay. So the last question I have is, so you're approaching retirement and for any listeners that might be close to retirement or in similar shoes as you, but they still like live, breathe, eat their job, their passion, their career. What is your advice for continuing that on after they do retire? Stay involved, you know, stay involved in your passion and mentor others so that they can, um, you know, achieve great success in what they're doing. That's, I, I will continue to stay involved. I'll continue to provide mentorship to not only women in my own workplace, if they want it, but other women, um, you know, in female universities and things like that, because um, I think it's really important that, you know, younger women can see older women and see that wisdom um, and we can share that with them. Amazing. Well, thanks so much, Miggy, for joining me today. I had a blast. It's my absolute pleasure. I've wanted for so long to be on this podcast, <laughs> and I'm delighted to finally have made it. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to support is by liking, following, rating, and reviewing on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am entirely grateful to those that have already left a review or have reached out to me. And if you're wanting more tips and content from each episode, be sure to follow on Instagram at Podcast. New episodes are released Tuesdays, so turn on your notifications for the platform that you listen to so you don't miss an episode.